Welcome to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. This is your host, John Hewlin, and you are listening to part two of my conversation with Dr. Jen Frazier. Dr. Jen is the author of the fantastic book, The Bullied Brain, Heal Your Scars and Restore Your Health. Now, if this is the first time you've heard Dr. Jen, I would ask you to go back to the prior episode, check out the first part of our conversation so you can catch up to where we are today, because it's not always fun to come in right in the middle of a conversation. I'm sure you know what I mean. Anyhow, so enjoy part one, then come back here for part two. Welcome to the show. Life is all about relationships and great leaders heavily invest in those relationships. On the Relationships and Revenue Podcast, we talk about how to improve our most significant relationships at home so we can be better in our business relationships. We talk with experts from all over the world, representing many disciplines about the best tips and strategies to become amazing people and amazing leaders. Welcome to the show. Yes. Oh, my gosh. See, I my kids say to me, you don't have to go on and on. And I'm sure everyone in your audience is like rolling their eyes going, the bullies <laughs> know the truth of it. Why couldn't I, Ronald Reagan says it in like four words and it took me like 10 minutes. Oh. <laughs> well, you know, what you were saying there, I, I'm, I'm buying into the growth mindset part of it. But but another thing that, that's coming to my mind as you were saying that was it's it's a way of learning, I guess, that seems to be lost right now it, when i when i was growing up teachers didn't they weren't told to teach you to the standardized test they, they they didn't teach that way they taught you how to think for yourself and therefore learn to ask questions all the time to to be a thinker to be someone who again back to the reagan quote trust that what the person's telling you is true, but still verify. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not calling you a liar because I'm researching. I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this because what's going to happen if I'm telling somebody the truth, I shouldn't be afraid that they're investigating. I should want them to do that because one of two things is going to happen. Either they're going to find out some or all of what I'm saying is wrong and share it now how they share it back with me. That's a separate issue altogether, but either that, or it will verify exactly what I was saying. And therefore I'm not sure vindication is the right word, but yeah, yeah. I could be vindicated in all of that. But the, the point I guess I'm trying to make is that teaching our kids how to do that is in It's not important for school. It's important for life. Yeah. I mean, you have to know how to do that because if you don't, it it's as if you're in a fight with a wounded knee and one arm tied behind your back. You will never win ever that way. You might limp along and survive for a little while, but eventually you will be a casualty. You know, I just want to, I want to put that into brain terms. Please. So the, the lungs job is to breathe in and out of air, right? Expire, mm -hmm. inhale, et cetera. The heart's job is to pump the blood all through the body. The brain's job is to make sense of reality. And what happens is when the brain can't make sense of reality, or as a neuroscientist said to me, 
when the brain can't answer the question, it starts to degrade all systems. It can be seen on a brain scan. And just to reinforce what you've said about how our education system is not keeping up with the times and our kids have been hit with social media and the internet, which, I mean, adults believe everything they read in social media and the internet, let alone kids. I mean, uh really? You know, and and they're not doing the verify. They're just doing the trust. Whatever I see is reality. Whatever I see is true. Whatever is said about me is true. So the brain, when the brain receives this kind of information, so with my student, for example, she couldn't answer the question, is the educator who was abusing me that I reported, is he the villain or am I the villain? And because because I reported him, because he lost his job, because it hurt him, he was so nice to me, you know, this kind of stuff, which is typical. It's called the loyalty bind in psychiatry. Yeah. Or it's called, you know, these types of things. And um, identifying with the aggressor, like whatever term we want to use with it, because she couldn't answer the question, is he the villain? Am I the villain? She, her brain self-destructed. She committed suicide. So let us just note now from 2000 to 2018, this just reinforces what you've said about education from 2000 to 2018 in the United States, youth suicide, that's 10 year olds to 24 year olds has increased. 57%. 57%. I can't even imagine. And since COVID, I bet it's even skyrocketed well above that. So it just goes to show you, you know, we are, we have got to change. We have got to raise our children with the brain science. The brain science says the brain's job is to make sense of reality. If we don't teach them to verify and be critical thinkers, and I mean, forget the standardized test. I mean, what is that? A convenience for educational institutions i mean come on it's it's, a, it's a way for schools thing. to get money honestly that's what it is it's wrong it's sorry wrong. no i agree <laughs> yeah it, it has absolutely nothing to do with wisdom and of course wisdom very rarely has anything to do with the acquisition of knowledge so <laughs> no. you know we haven't talked a whole lot about your work with corporations in organizations and what you do and how that impacts them. So I definitely want to hit on that a little bit before I get to some of the other things that I typically get to with my guests, but I definitely want to hear about the work that you're doing with organizations out there, because I find this fascinating. Well, you know, if an organization has a bullying problem and they have an individual, it usually just takes one or two. The research shows, and I mean, this is, you find this when you're on the ground, It only takes one or two individuals in a school or in a corporation or in a sports organization to um, create a feeling of fear, a a sense of of terror in the organization, and it infiltrates everywhere. It affects how the young people treat one another all the way up to senior staff. So in organizations, it's always about the leadership. The leadership has to be extremely clear on what is acceptable and what is not. They need to be very, one of the key things that they need to be trained in is how their brain is going to trip them up when they get an abuse report. So I, you know, leaders, they don't understand that when they get the abuse report, the first time around, their brain will start to create what's called in the literature and the research counterfacts. So let's pretend you and I've worked together for 10 years. 
um, I'm a psychopath. I'm a narcissist. I'm a sociopath. I am a Machiavellian. And these people's brains, you can see on brain scans, I write about them in the book. They have very, very harmed brains and they are masters at manipulation. Masters. That's what they do. For them, it's a game. They don't have any empathy. So they don't have regret. They don't have, it doesn't hurt them to see other people be hurt. They don't walk in the shoes of their victims because they can't, because it's damaged in their brain. They come by these injuries, honestly, but the bottom line is they can destroy an organization. So I have very carefully not only groomed the victims that I abuse. So let's say I emotionally abuse, I, I emotionally abuse the managers and the managers. It trickles down to the employees because the employees are terrified of making mistakes. The managers are terrified of making mistakes because I'm going to ream them out. I'm going to fire okay. them. I'm going to do all kinds of destructive things to them because that I, I'm just trained in that model. So what happens though with the leader is, the manager comes in, reports the other manager. He says, Bob is highly destructive. This is what he's doing. Or Cheryl. Cheryl is super destructive. She's destroying everybody. We have no retention. We can't keep talent. You know, people are sick. Like it's not working. We've got, mm -hmm. you know, we're not, the clients are upset, whatever. So the leader listens to this and goes, oh, I got to talk to Bob or I got to talk to Cheryl. But once the door closes, the leader goes, oh, it's just a second. Bob and Cheryl are my top performers. I've been friends with Bob and Cheryl for 10 years. I have dinner with them and their spouses. I know their kids. We've we've done so I've never ever seen them behave in a way that looks less than perfect. Mm -hmm. There must be something wrong with the guy that's complaining. Mm -hmm. He's got an agenda. He's hysterical. He's jealous. He wants their portfolio. So these are counterfacts. And the brain does it because just as we described before. The brain's trying to make sense of reality. And it's really hard for the brain to say, Bob and Cheryl have never done anything wrong in front of me, but behind closed doors, they do. That's the definition of an abuser. They are masters yeah. at grooming the higher ups, getting them on side, ingratiating themselves, becoming friends, becoming personal, learning about their vulnerabilities, helping them with their vulnerability. It's all part of the manipulation. So when the report comes in the first time around, certainly the leader goes, oh, give them the benefit of the doubt. I'll mention to them, I got this horrible report about them and I don't believe it. Now I, but I do want them to be aware and they need to try mm -hmm. harder. Okay, fine. Then the second report comes in. Same thing. Then the third report comes in and the leader goes, I'm complicit. I've got a really big problem on my hand. I'm negligent. I knew two times back, three times back, 10 years back. Think of, think of Dr. Larry Nassar. Dr. Yeah. Larry Nassar is the perfect example. He abused for 30 years. That's typical. He's the good doctor. He's Dr. Jekyll. I don't know if your audience would know this, you know, 19th century story, Robert Louis Stevenson of Dr. Jekyll, the perfect, respectable, caring individual, and Mr. Hyde, his alternate personality, his abuser, who's a killer. And yeah. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are the same person, but the brain can't understand that. That doesn't make sense to the brain. The brain does, it can't be two things at once. So what happens to the brain is it starts to make bad decisions. The leader starts to degrade all systems, make bad decisions because the brain can't answer the question. It doesn't understand. How can Cheryl and Bob and Larry Nassar be the good Dr. Jekyll and a killer behind closed doors? Don't get it. That doesn't make sense. Right. So, I mean, when I work with organizations, these are the kinds of things we talk about and we look at case studies. 
So you can, I can trot out any of the case studies. You can look at Rutgers, for example. It's a really good one with Coach Mike Rice. Coach Mike Rice, uh, he was absolutely shown to leadership at the highest levels as being incredibly emotionally abusive. Mm. And they didn't do anything. They just gave him kind of the slap on the wrist, $75,000 fine. You have to sit out for three games and then it's business as usual. For anyone to think that an abusive brain is going to change because of a punishment like that, they are sorely mistaken. That is their first big mistake. So what happens, Mike Rice, who's very emotionally abusive to his athletes, he he gets fired. He gets exposed on ESPN. He gets fired. His assistant coach, who they call Baby Rice, who's just like him, who imitates his Mm. behavior, he resigns. The legal team that allowed him off with a slap on the wrist, they all have to resign. Think of the money involved in this. And the athletic director has to resign. And the president of the university, his job is on the line too. That is the fallout when you cover up abuse. But good leaders cover up abuse all the time. It happens to them. Why does it happen? People don't ask that question. So when I come in and I roll in there with the science and I go, look, we have to really rethink how we talk about this and think about this. It can make excellent change. And the reason why it makes excellent change is because we sidestep the whole moral model. This isn't about blaming and shaming individuals who might behave in in destructive ways. It says, just like if they had a, a drug addiction, Mm-hmm. They have to go. We, we're not going to drive them out of the community necessarily, but they need to go and get six months rehab. Then they need to come back, be brought back into the fold. We're all human. We all make terrible mistakes. Terrible things happen to us when we behave in destructive ways. Let's get them better. And then let's monitor. And if they can do it, celebrate. Like the brain learns mm-hmm. by making mistakes, right? Right. Okay. Have you seen that done right or done well? That kind of change that you just described, have you seen that done yet? No. In all honesty, no. I have been working tirelessly on this issue for a very, very long time. But, you know, that's one of my big discoveries is it kind of shocks me how hard it is to make change. To Mm. change people's mindsets is the Mm. hardest thing in the world. It's, It's the way in which the brain is wired, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's just, yeah, I mean, but we both know people who do ultimately make change and we do see a change in the education system and in how organizations operate and in how youth sports are run because professional sports don't need to abuse their athletes mm-hmm. for greatness, just youth sports. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just hopeful right now. I'm honestly quite caught in the advocacy role. So mm. I, you know, the federal government, for example, has me, we have a huge sport abuse crisis in our country. I think other mm-hmm. countries do. We have a yeah. major one in Canada and it's been all over the news and even internationally. And so the office of sport integrity commissioner has brought me in as a subject matter expert oh, okay. to, to uh, advise the commissioner. So, I mean, that's a huge breakthrough. For being the blacklisted individual who will never teach again, who's treated like a social pariah because I dared to speak up and fight for kids' rights, you know, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden I'm on the inside track with the federal government and they're listening to me. They're going, oh, maybe we do need to rethink how we do these things. What do you think? And I do a lot of that kind of work. Do Do I move into, you know, a corporation and transform it? Not yet, but I'd love to. Okay. I think I could protect a lot of people. 
there uh there's somebody i've had on the show that uh when we go off air i'm going to connect you with her name's Catherine star uh Catherine is a uh former olympian uh who experienced the kind of abuse that you were that you've been talking about um she actually has is has been involved in many cases involving the same kinds of things as an expert witness uh and has established some organizations to kind of help with that um so there might be some synergy between the two of you, I, I could see some some really great things happening between the two of you. Oh, I'd love to talk to her. Yeah, I, I've been brought in on some twice now parliament in Canada. So that's in Ottawa, you know, have mm. flown me in to talk to parliamentarians. But I don't know what the, the change is just so slow. Um, there was a lot of hope that they would they would understand that this sport crisis and the abuse crisis requires like swift intervention. And, you know, so many people are being hurt. And, you know, in Canada, we have the same as the U.S. 70% of our athletes drop out at 13. 70%. Yeah. I mean, it's just tragic because one of the best things for the brain is sports. Mm. Fitness, fitness, athletics. I mean, it could be martial yeah. arts, but there's something really right. wonderful about sports. And well, martial arts too, actually, in that it it's the match between really using your intellect simultaneously with aerobic fitness. So mm. good for you. You know, and so it would be great if we kept all our kids, especially now with the stresses they have to cope with in sports, but we drive them away as adults and it's horrible. So, yeah, I mean, I just I have a lot of hopes and dreams about this kind of stuff. And I would be very happy to be connected with anyone where I can support, you know, their cause. Very cool. OK, um, I want to get to a few things that I typically talk to with with most of our guests, which, by the way, everything we've talked about so far been so entertaining is not the right word it's been very educational very helpful um it's allowed me to put names to certain things that i was aware of but wasn't exactly sure what to call it so that certainly has been helpful um can't wait to dig into your book uh because now i know it's not going to be an easy read i don't expect that but uh it will be one that i will reference more than once i'm sure you know that John, the book has been described by a lawyer. He said it was really startling to him because he called it a page turner about neuroscience. So interesting. It, okay. Yeah, it, the, <laughs> Usually, the those hand, two terms are not used together. I know. On the one <laughs> hand, it's a it's wall to wall research, but it's written. The research is there for you if you want to pursue it, but it doesn't dominate. So, I mean, I'm not a scientist. So the book is for the general reader. It's very much a story. It's my personal story, like how I came to start reading all the neuroscience in the first place. So on the one hand, it really is a page turner. It's a very emotional book. And it's about how people can really harness the science to get better and to, to have better lives, happier, healthier, more high-performing lives. That's really the, the push of the book. But on the flip side, this is very much my academic self speaking. Um, I was worried that I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't have any right to write about the neuroscience. Like, what am I doing? And I can overcome that by saying, well, I'm an educator. You don't have to be the thing you educate about. You're just trying to teach the knowledge and share it and get critical thinking happening. Um, but I still felt like oh, I got to get a neuroscientist to sort of bless this. And I ended up <laughs> talking to you just by a series of flukes. I ended up speaking with one of the world's most highly regarded, most significant neuroscientists alive today. 
He's received the highest awards, the Cavalier wow. Award in Neuroscience in 2016. And of course, he's an American. He's just an absolutely brilliant guy. His name's Dr. Michael Mersnick. And um, so I, I sent him the book. Uh, it was in draft form. And within two days or something, he emailed me back. And he said, um, he said, the bullied brain is, quote, the, capital T-H-E, most completely scientifically thorough treatment of the subject on planet earth. And that wow. is like, I should thank University of Toronto because that's my training. I was trained to do the research. So I did do the research, but it doesn't dominate the book. The book is for anyone who wants to know more about their brain, anyone who's worried about bullying and what it might've done to the brain, their brain or someone else's mm -hmm. brain they care about and how we can all get better. So it's a systems book and it's a personal book. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm going to be really keen to hear your thoughts on it because I think it will speak to you. The science is powerful. I am definitely looking forward to that. Now, I wouldn't be doing my audience justice if I didn't ask a few of these other questions. Now, these are going to be, um, I think, a little less involved than some of the other questions I've asked so far. Uh, but I ask all my guests these sets of questions. First one, tell me your definition of success. Success for me hinges on your relationship to yourself. So when we were involved in this abuse situation, I was devastated from a outward success perspective. I was going to, I mean, I resigned in protest, you know, walking away from your job. We sold our house to put our son through school in the United States, which cost an unholy fortune. Um, oh, Canadian sure. dollars, 30% less than the American dollar. Yeah, so yeah, I heard that. Begin to imagine, go Ducks, go. Well, it cost, you know, our house. <laughs> so go Ducks, go is the motto for University of Oregon. If you guys don't know yeah. about their football team, anybody listening who's not a football fan. Anyway, it was the best decision we ever made, but it's been hard. It's been really stressful and really hard and I wouldn't change it for a single thing. And my husband said, mm. he said, the only thing that matters is you can look yourself in the mirror every single morning. And that's my definition of success. If you can look straight at yourself in the morning and not feel like you've done the wrong thing or you've failed or you've let your kids down, doesn't matter how much pain you go through. That's all that matters. And, you know, I need to be able to look my son in the eyes and say, you're worth fighting for. And I'll fight again if I have to. Nice. What's your top daily habit? Top daily habit would be, I'm sorry to report, drinking very strong coffee. That works. Okay. It's good for the brain. It's an antioxidant for the brain. That's my only excuse. Okay. What would you say makes a great leader? Or what would you say are like like the top characteristics or traits of a great leader? Number one, empathy. Your ability to think how other people think, feel, and intend. That is the human superpower. And if you maintain that, you can sky's the limit for you as a leader. Mm. Um I would also say, am I allowed to say a couple? Of course you are. I would say empathy. I would say growth mindset. You never get old. You never get locked in. You never get to believe that your wiring is the only wiring. You are constantly learning. You're a lifelong learner. And then number three, I would have to say compassion. Because empathy is strategic. You pay attention to what people are thinking, feeling, and intending because it's to your advantage to do that. Compassion is when you take it one step further. And you extend your own good fortune to, to lend a hand to others, and they'll never forget it. If you want loyal followers as a leader, if you want people that have the, the guts to tell you the truth and they trust that you're going to hear it and not you know lash out, 
if you want any of those things, it's, it's all about compassion. Mm. Love that. What would you say is the best advice you ever received and the best you've ever given? Mm, that's a complicated one. Best advice I've ever <laughs> received. Um, wow. Or maybe one that just happened to be memorable for you. Yeah, I've, I've been taught so many things so many times. Um, advice, I, I guess I'd have to, I mean, it's boring, but I mean, I have to circle back to what my husband said, because I was really struggling when he said it to me, that idea that you have to be able to look yourself in the mirror. And, you know, it, it has more weight to it because when you study abuse and you study individuals who are abusive, one of the things that you notice about them is they struggle to meet your eyes. And it's mm -hmm. indicative of the fact that, and this is really sad, it's indicative of the fact that they are ashamed. They're ashamed by what they do. They are um, hurt on a very deep brain level. It's a cowering expression that comes out of, uh, it's very animalistic. You know, when you, you it, it goes back to what you said, John, that you see things as a negative. Well, mm -hmm. a brain that has been harmed and and hurt and abused throughout childhood they take a cowering position because they see others as threatening. So, mm. so when someone can't meet your eyes, it is a red flag that you might be dealing with somebody who's profoundly hurt. And I'm sorry to say, if they've been profoundly hurt, they might behave in really destructive ways. And so it's, it's good to know that. Um, so yeah, advice given to me is, is my husband just being really, really clear on that, that kind of, You've got to meet your own eyes. I think that ethically mm -hmm. and so on is really, and psychologically, super important. Advice I've given to other people that seems to resonate with them that emerges out of the bullied brain is if we can just remember that hurt brings hurt. So when you're here, I want to give you a statistic from the start of the book that makes an impression upon people. Um, in the introduction to the book, I talk about the fact that the research shows 70%, 70% of inmates in the California prison system, and that is a huge prison system, 70% yes. were in foster care. Mm. Are those hurt brains? Are those traumatized brains? Are those people who have been given a really lousy sort of uh, start in life? Or are those what we call bad people? I mean, the moral... The moral stance has got to take a step back now to the medical stance. If we can heal shoulders and, and knees and broken ankles, we can heal brains. We have the knowledge. Why aren't we doing it? Why are we not rehabilitating hurt brains? Food hmm. for thought, for sure. Well, going back to organizations, you asked me about mm -hmm. what work I'm doing. I'm very close to being able to do some amazing work with uh, youth prison populations using oh. the brain sciences diversion, you know, as a choice, do you want to learn all about your brain and how to self-regulate and how, why it does the things it does and how to change that? Or do you want to put in three, four months in prison? So I'm really excited about the possibilities there. And I'm wondering if there's an application for what you're talking about outside of the youth detainment system for children who and I'm not in a position to say rightly or wrongly diagnosed, but some of these diagnoses that that seem to be so prevalent these days, things like ADHD and bipolar and that sort of thing. I'm wondering if what you're talking about could have an impact there. Massively. So not not because of me, but because of Dr. Michael Merzenich, who wrote the foreword to the book and dialogued with me all about the book. I include his voice. I just put quotes around it. He's so brilliant. 
um, we talked about him before, he has developed a brain program called Brain HQ with a bunch of other neuroscientists. It's online, it's gamified, it's cheap. And he's made it that way because it's designed to save people from dementia in old age. Mm. And then they now have an understanding. They didn't before, but they now understand that if we started assessing children's brains at grade six, and then we started putting them through the brain training, we could we could save them from going down the trajectory to a whole bunch of mental illness diagnoses in childhood and adolescence. That's when they get diagnosed with all this stuff. And we mm. could do amazing things with what the neuroscientists know to save them. And we're mm. not doing it. So I, I, every single day, I work on getting Brain HQ out in front of people and getting them to understand how important it is and how... Uh, just like we need to train our bodies and keep our bodies fit, we need to train our brains. They're hungry for learning and they need to do very specific. It's not fun. goes back to work. Only mm -hmm. half an hour a day. It's hard work and it's frustrating because you're not good at it, which I find super frustrating. I don't oh, like yeah. good at things. Oh, uh -huh. it just drives me nuts. So, <laughs> you know. But but yes, you're at the answer, the short answer to your question is absolutely, we could be doing amazing things. So I say to people, why do we test kids' eyes? Why do we test their hearing? Why do we send, take them to the dentist twice a year? Because we know that that preventative work is going to keep them healthy and we ignore their brains. I want everyone in your audience to say, when is the last time the doctor checked my brain, my brain skills, my brain power, did an EEG? When's mm. the last time any one of us has had our brains looked at? And they could get you instant, amazing information and tell you what you need to work on if they did look at your brain. Interesting. Okay. Tell me about a time you failed big and what was the result? Well. Because we talked about it earlier. We talked about failing. So. I failed to save my student's life when she was being gaslit by the system. She was 19 years old. She wrote me many, many emails from 17 to 19. She reported to me first. Mm. That she was being sexually harassed by a teacher. I took it to the administration. I had already resigned from the other private school and I was in a new one. And I just realized, oh my God, it's up. I'm up against the system again. And the system is corrupt. And I watched them slowly but surely dismantle her brain. And I failed to save her. That is, mm. there is no worse failure than that. So yeah, did I learn a lot from it? Yeah. My response to it after a pretty profound depression is I will <laughs> fight. That's what my book is about, The Gaslit Brain. I'm going to get the truth of her story out there. If it's the last thing I do, I'm going to offer it as an alternative narrative to the cover-up that is being done about her. And I'm going to hope that it saves other young people's lives. And that's mm -hmm. all you can do. And, and I mean, I relate to your sense of pain the pain of loss, the pain of failing yourself and everything that you believe that you were, the, the pain of failing is horrendous. And all we can do with it is try and turn it into opportunity and to, you know, help others. Sounds hokey, but you know what I mean? I do. You know, I, it was said to me many years ago this way, when the pain of change becomes less than the pain of staying the same, then things change. Because that's, there's pain with both. Yeah, I know. I know. There is. Yeah, that's a great quote. I, I believe so much the truth of that. This one is a little bit different kind of question because um, I'm going to ask it and then I'll explain why. Who is investing in you right now? Oh, gosh, too many people. 
<laughs> it, it worries me. It honestly worries me. Um, so I, I have people that believe that my program and my research and what I've done, this new way of thinking is golden. And they are in very high level talks to get it out there uh, internationally as a new way of educating and a new way of handling abuse cases and a new way of doing the prison system. I mean, I have lots of amazing people that every single day I wake up and, you know, I, you know, people do their gratitude and so on. I have such a long list of people that I respect so much who are investing in me that it, it just makes me, I am almost euphoric at, because I care about the issue. It's not about yeah. me. It doesn't matter about me. Do I care about using the neuroscience to change everything for kids? You bet I do. And so it just gives me joy. So I, I have amazing people, including Dr. Michael Merzenich. I mean, the, the, you can never get him because he's talking to NASA and he can't talk now. He's with the U.S. military because they're implementing his program. And, oh, sorry, yeah. he's on the line with Tom Brady. Tom Brady's using his brain training program every day and wants to talk to him. And he makes time for someone like me, an author and an academic. I mean, the guy is golden and he actually cares so much about children and what this program could do that he invests in me even. Now I'm going to take the same kind of question, but tweak it a little bit. How are you investing in you? Well, I try, I'm a big believer in exercise mm -hmm. and I, I use that as a way to keep myself on the, in that sort of keep health as a priority. Um, mm -hmm. I invest in myself through connection. Like I love to talk to people like you who care and who are great listeners and who have created a platform to reach others. Like I really admire that because it's work I'm not very good at personally myself. And so um, like you've given me an opportunity today to invest in myself. That's how I experienced okay. this uh, connection. And so I do those kinds of things as well. I, you know, it goes back to something you said before that was very sharp about me. I gain a huge amount from writing. Writing is my, everybody needs to find their go-to, whether it's artwork, whether it's dancing, whether it is being with friends, whatever it is that gives you that charge. For me, it's writing. So I- It's your creativity. Writing. It's creativity and it's also therapy. For me, writing mm. is therapy. When I can take control of the narrative and, and explain and educate and, and share something, I get a lot of- um, in self-investment from that. So I write for okay. psychology today, yeah. uh, a regular, a regular uh, piece. And, you know, people think I do it for them, but really I do it for me. It helps me clarify <laughs> ideas. Yeah. Sure. Sure. I get that. Okay. Well, we're getting close to wrap up time here, but before we do that, if there's someone out there who's been listening or watching and it's like, I have got to get in touch with Dr. Jen, how can folks find you? Um, it's really easy to get me on my website. My website is bulliedbrain.com and there's a, a contact form and literally the contact form goes straight to me. I get them myself. I don't have any team members that deal with that. It will come directly to me. And I get a lot of people who write and say, I was abused as a child and this is how it's manifested. And I will answer. I answer wow. all of those. So, um, but I also, you know, obviously people send work ones, like we'd like you to do blah, blah, blah. But um, I love to present. I love to work. And I also connect one-on-one -on -one with people myself. 
And I, I will always do that. So um, if it takes me a while to answer, it just means I'm a bit swamped. But um, <laughs> anyone who who wants anything, you know, has, because it's a very, you know, when you work in the abuse world, it's high stakes. And I get yeah. that. And I try my best to direct people to resources I know about or people to talk to or, you know, really, yeah, I just, I just try my best in that regard. I'm not a mental health professional or practitioner. So I can't, of course, offer that side of things, but I do know how to say, oh, you need to read this, read that, learn this, talk to so-and-so. Excellent. All right. Well, at the end here, I have something that's called a final four. They're four quick questions. Just tell me the first thing that pops in your head. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Scary. (laughs) All right. Here's the first one. Why did God create Jen? Or stated another way, what's your purpose? Why are you here? My purpose is to help protect children against child abuse. I'm a victim myself by three teachers in high school, Mm. and it keeps coming up in my life over and over and over again. And I call this the universe works in mysterious ways or God works in mysterious Mm. ways. And I, I do believe that that is my purpose, a painful one, but uh, I'm positioned and I've been privileged to have the education to do it. So I serve my purpose. Okay. Number two, what are you doing? reading or listening to right now that's helping you grow oh gosh all i do is read so i would have to choose (laughs) i'm reading a really hard book it's called the polyvagal theory by stephen porges and it's so hard it's talk about science oh my goodness and so um that's what i'm reading right now but in all honesty i wish i was reading something a little more fun (laughs) okay all right speaking of fun what do you do for fun oh gosh i I love music, all kinds of music. I listen to music. I love being with my family. So I was, I love being out in nature. So I just last week was on a little Island in the West coast called Hornby Island with my two sons, one of my son's girlfriends and my husband, and it's out in the woods and we swam in the ocean. And that's my Mm -hmm. idea of truly heaven. I love being out in nature and I love being with my family and my friends too. Nice. What are you most grateful for? I am most grateful for my brain. I I feel that all of us, here's a beautiful thing. So you know how we talk about how um, we were created in the image of the divine and people have, okay. have interpreted that all kinds of different ways. You know, we, we look like God or our family looks like God's family or all these types of things. And everybody has their, oh, this is the vision of the divine. I would, I would love people to entertain the understanding that in our brains, we have 86, at least 86 billion neurons that is little tiny starry bright lit up brain cells 86 billion and when neuroscientists go to try and talk about the enormity of that the only thing they can use is the galaxy they say it's like the galaxy Mm. and i think that it's really our beautiful brains full of all of these glittering starry um brain cells that really reflect the divine and that we all have the divine within us and that that is a gorgeous thing. And we can do so many things with our brains. It's not even funny. Mm, I love that. If someone were to come to you and say, okay, Jen, I'm looking for a good book to read. Now, the caveat here is your recommendation. You can't recommend one of your own books. That's just, you can't. Oh my goodness. Well, the reason you can't recommend yours is because it's going to be in the show notes and we'll be making these recommendations for folks. So your books will already be there. But if somebody comes to you and is like, hey, Jen, I'm looking for a great book. What's the first thing that pops in your head? Or or what do you most often recommend? 
Um, oh, there's a million books I'd like to recommend and a million books that I think are brilliant. Um, can I recommend two? Sure. Okay. So one book I would recommend for people who have suffered abuse or trauma, and it's called The Body Keeps the Score by I've Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. The Body yeah. Keeps the Score. For people who are really interested in doing a deep dive into neuroscience and learning about what it means for them in their own lives, mm-hmm. I would recommend Dr. Michael Merzenich's Soft Wired. Soft Wired. Soft Wired. So just to give you, to help you remember that, um, many of us grew up believing and many neuroscientists believed up until the breakthrough work of Dr. Michael Merzenich that our brains were hardwired. So by the age of four or five, that was that. Our brains were hardwired and then they d- degenerated over the lifespan. Not mm. true. What uh, Michael is called the father of neuroplasticity because he mm. proved in his lab, over, and he was a young scientist, and he was like going up against the Nobel Prize winners going, you know what, guys, don't mean to be mean, but I think you're wrong. <laughs> you know, my, <laughs> my lab work is showing something different. He's the one that discovered really along with other major leaders in the field that our brains are constantly changing. They change according to environment. That's why you got to choose a healthy environment as much as you can. I know it's hard for some people. And our brains are changed by deliberate practice. That's the hard work mm. you and I talked about through this yes. whole conversation. Deliberate practice will change your brain to be what you want it to be. It's hard work, but it's worth it. Well, okay. Let's use one of his disciples as an example. Tom Brady. Oh, Tom my Brady. gosh. the The man was doing things after the age of 40 that no other quarterback has ever done before. And I'm sure it is at least in part due to his involvement with Dr. Say his last name for me again. Michael Merzenich. Merzenich. I almost said the wrong name, so I'm glad I didn't. So if you read, if you read Tom Brady's TB12, which is his method, um, And his book, all about what he does, what he eats, all the stretching he does, how he protects his body, how he enhances his physicality, blah, blah, blah. He is also talking about Michael Merzenich's brain training program. So for all people who are interested in checking it out, check it out online. It's Brain HQ, as in Brain Headquarters, brainhq.com. And it all of us can do it. And there's a personal trainer called Daily Sparks, and she'll walk you through your exercises and help you keep up to speed half an hour a day. And don't despair if it's really hard and you're not great at it. The algorithm changes to every brain. So, for example, I'm good, I'm good at concentration. So I do really well at concentration. I'm really bad at navigation. And I it's it's embarrassing how bad I am at navigation. Anyways, I hate doing it. But you have to work on the ones you're not good at, obviously. And yeah, you, yeah. you get stronger, stronger, better, faster, just like Tom Brady in his 40s. For sure. For sure. Well, listen. Dr. Jen, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your wealth of knowledge with us. Uh, I feel more informed and dare I say a little bit wiser because of it. And I know that those who are tuning in are just going to be, I don't even have the right words to say. I think that several people are going to be like, I didn't know about this. I'm glad I know now. Now I have to figure out what to do. So all are great. Yeah, it's I I yeah, I I feel the same way as they did. And I'm constantly in that state. I'm like, the more you know, I mean, it's the classic thing. The more you know, the more you realize how little you know. And it's mm-hmm. just, it spurs us all along, all of us on to learn more. But I mean, it's pretty yeah. exciting. It's pretty empowering. Brain science tells us 
we can get better. We can improve. We are empowered just unto ourselves to have a better, faster, stronger, happier brain. How awesome is that? For sure. You know, it, it's only a matter of time before we start seeing things like, uh, like when it comes to our physical health, somebody somewhere along the way has figured out how to synthesize and put into pill form something that we need to improve. It'll happen. It kind of does now. There's a little bit of that right now, but I can see that coming in the future. Folks, that's just an aside. That's just John talking. So if you want to shut the thing off now, you can, because we're just about done anyway. So <laughs> my audience understands me. Sometimes I kind of, I do my little own little thing and I kind of go off sometimes. So, <laughs> but again, thank you, Jen, for being here, for sharing with us because I'm better. And I'm pretty sure everybody else who has tuned in is better because we got to hear from you today. So thank you. You're welcome, John. It was lovely to speak with you. And thanks to all of you for tuning in because you have given us your most precious resource and that's your time. It's not renewable and I know you can't get it back. So thanks for investing that today. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlett. Thanks again for listening, and remember, passion gets you started, purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.